Luke chapter 9, where we will start. A culture is not truly secular until it is no longer agitated by the spiritual. I don't know if that was Nietzsche or Voltaire. <laughs> Both of them were hostile towards religion, but... The quote stuck with me, that a culture is only secular when it's no longer agitated by the spiritual. I fear that we, have become, we are becoming just that. We're no longer bothered by things of a spiritual nature. The question is, how did we get here? I believe it began rather slowly, and we can see this in the book of Luke happening, I believe, with the disciples. After Jesus has healed a young man, the people began to marvel at what Jesus has done. I believe it specifically says, they were amazed at the majesty of God. But while everyone marveled at all these things which Jesus did, he said to his disciples, let these words sink down into your ears, for the Son of Man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men. But they did not understand what he was saying. They were ignorant of what he was saying to them. But that's not the bad part. These things were hidden from them, that they did not perceive it. They didn't have a mind's eye or a spiritual eye to see to perceive, to understand the things that Jesus has been explaining to them for some time now. Jesus was concerned about this, that there would be a group of people that have eyes to see but cannot see, and ears to hear but cannot hear, and a heart that would not receive and be saved. He's been concerned about that, and here it is among his ranks, the ones that he has handpicked, to take this message, this good news, into the world. He's trying to teach them a spiritual lesson. And the Bible explicitly tells us that they are ignorant, they did not understand what he said, and they did not perceive it. And furthermore, this is where it gets really bad. They were afraid to ask about the saying. They stopped asking questions. They were no longer curious about what Jesus was saying. And so they stopped asking questions, which means this. They're ignorant. They did not ask questions. Therefore, they will remain in their ignorance of what Jesus has come to do. Verse 46. Then a dispute arose among them as to which of them would be the greatest I had that verse read. It does start a somewhat of another section, and, but yet it is this bridge that tells us what happens when we are in our ignorance of God's Word, in our ignorance of what He said and what the plan of salvation is, who Jesus is, what the work of Jesus is, and we just quit asking questions and we're quick, we're, we're stop being curious about it and we stop growing. And so what happens? Verse 46, I think, is the key. We turn inward. And our religion becomes about us and what we want Jesus to be and what we want the kingdom to be 
and arguing and fighting begins because somebody's got to be the greatest. There's going to be this group of people that Jesus is making, and one of us, some of us, need to be at the top of the heap. And so they begin to argue. So here they witnessed with their own eyes and were amazed at the majesty and power of Jesus right in front of them. Jesus tries to draw their attention to the spiritual lesson about what He has come to do in conquering sin and death by the death, burial, and resurrection. But apathy begins to set in because they didn't understand what Jesus was saying. They didn't have the spiritual eyes or mindset to see, to hear, to understand, and they stopped asking questions. And so what happened? They turned inward and began arguing and became very carnal in nature. And that's when He brings a child in and says, you need to become like this child right here. As the dark cloud of apathy fell upon us, slowly but surely, did have we stopped asking questions? Has worship become boring? Have we stopped living by faith? Have we quit asking questions? Have we stopped being curious about spiritual matters? Has the fiery flame of zeal for Christ and His work gone out? Almost 10 years ago now, almost 10 years to the date, USA Today published an article based on a survey polling its readers where many are saying, so what, to religious matters. 46% never wonder whether they will go to heaven or hell. And that was 10 years ago. 46% of the people polled don't know and they don't care if there's heaven or hell. They don't know and they don't care if they'll go to heaven or not go to heaven. It just doesn't concern them. 44% spend no time seeking, quote, eternal wisdom. I'm not sure what they meant by eternal wisdom in that poll. The poll was done and classifies unbelievers, folks who don't know and they don't care. I would expect that of folks outside the body of Christ. I have noticed an uptick in those who say, I don't know and I don't care on things that don't matter to them. Topics like, when asked the question, why is it that the churches of Christ don't use mechanical instruments of music in their worship? More and more the answer is, I don't know and I don't care. On the discussion of marriage between a man and a woman, on the discussion of marriage, divorce, and remarriage, who has the right for divorce and right for remarriage? The question or the answer is, I don't know and I don't really care. I just love Jesus. Do you? Can you really say that? If you love me, keep my commandments. On the topic of obtaining Bible authority and how to properly and effectively study the Bible, the answer is, I don't know and I don't care. I need a verse that brings peace to my life. And so I randomly open the Scriptures and I find those Psalms that can instantly soothe my soul and make me feel comfortable. Many want a verse, they want a motivational thought, and they want it in under a minute. Rather than taking the time and effort of diving deep into the Scriptures, figuring out who this Jesus is and what He means to their lives, what these Scriptures mean and how they can transform their hearts and lives. I want us to think about the dark cloud of apathy 
not in the world. They've made it plain they don't know and perhaps some of them don't care. But is it affecting us? Jesus put himself on the cross. The death, burial, and resurrection was for the purifying of these people that belonged especially to him that would be zealous for good works. Not just going to church, but zealous for good works. That's why we have been created. Titus chapter 2, verse 11 through 14. As we think about apathy, its definition and expression, it is by definition the acting with disregard and a lack of interest. The expression, as already has been said, is I don't know and I don't care, or both, neither accepting nor denying the authority of the Scriptures neither accepting nor denying God's existence, Jesus as Lord and Savior, neither accepting or rejecting heaven or hell. Progress has stalled. Faith has become cold. Hearts have become calloused. And the flame of zeal is gone. But this is nothing new to our age. I'm not saying that it is affecting you or not. I'm asking us to be on guard and examine ourselves whether we be in the faith or be of a reprobate mind. It's nothing new under the sun as Paul was warning Timothy in 1 Timothy 4 and verse 1. He says, hearts can become seared with a hot iron, calloused and past feeling to the point where they just don't know and they just don't care. And then they give themselves over to myths and fables and all manner of doctrine that comes down the pike. And they'll be given to it in the matter of spiritual thinking or spiritual enlightenment, having no idea that they're drifting further and further away from Christ who is the source of their very salvation and the heaven that they seek. Hearts becoming cold and calloused and going through the motion. How? What causes this? There's actually several verses I want to look at, and I want to look at them together. And I want to notice a pattern that appears. I want to start in Deuteronomy. We're going to go to Deuteronomy, and then we'll step over to Amos, and we'll finish in Revelation. In Deuteronomy is the so-called second law. It's the second giving of the law. The grandkids, some of the kids of those who came out of Egypt, have spent 40 years in the wilderness the parents, the grandparents have died in the wilderness because of their unfaithfulness, because of their unbelief. We're told that specifically about Moses of all people. He wasn't allowed to enter into the promised land because not hitting the rock. God says it's because of your unbelief, because you believed me not. After all of that faithfulness and leading these rebellious whiners through the wilderness for 40 years. He doesn't get to enter in because of a lack of faith. So this next generation gets to go in. Moses here is warning them, don't be like that first generation. They've lost their lives. Deuteronomy 8, beginning in verse 11 Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping His commandments, His judgments, and His statutes, which I command you today, lest when you have eaten and are full and 
built beautiful houses and dwell in them. When your herds and your flocks multiply, silver and gold are multiplied. All that you have is multiplied. and Your heart is lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Beware. You're going into this land that flows with milk and honey that I have promised to Abraham, and you are his descendants. This promise was given to him to bless you. You are the beneficiary of what he has done and the promises that I have made. Now, when you get in there, don't forget to practice and participate in the walk and worship with God. And there's danger. Here's some of the danger that's going to happen. You're going to become very successful, and you're going to become very comfortable, and you're going to grow materially, filled with wealth and all manner of goods. Your herds are going to multiply. The gold and the silver, the precious metals that hold such value, the money that you have is going to multiply. Good things are going to happen to you. And here's my concern, Moses says, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. When you become successful, when you grow in your wealth, when you grow in your material goods, when you live and dwell in these beautiful houses, you become comfortable. And now you have forgotten God because you feel independent. You feel like you got there on your own and you forget it was the Lord your God that brought you out of slavery. It was the Lord your God that set you free from being slaves in Egypt. That was according to His promise. That He was going to give you all of these things that you enjoy. All these creature comforts God has given you. He knew you were going to get them. He knew they were going to multiply. And what has happened? You forgot who gave them to you. You feel like you've done this of your own power. Seems like I heard that somewhere before. I have, I have the benefit of having the scriptures complete. And there's another guy, when you fast forward into history, a guy named Nebuchadnezzar, who looked at all of his wealth and all of his kingdom and all the gold and silver that was multiplied to him. And he said, look at what I have done. Look at my kingdom that I built with my power and my wealth. And before the words left his mouth, God jerked a knot in his tail and made him like a beast of the field. Humbled him because he had forgotten who had given it to him. Living in a world that doesn't even recognize God. Those of us who are in the church must recognize God and the things that we have have come from him. Every breath, every step, every penny that comes through my hand, all the creature comforts that I have have come from Him. And if I don't acknowledge that I have forgotten God, the one who has blessed me and showered me with the blessings, both spiritual and physical, that have come from heaven as one of His children, Moses was deeply concerned that when they go in here, here's what's going to happen. Things are going to explode. Things are going to be great for you. And you're going to come to a point where you're going to forget me. And you're going to think you did this on your own. And you're going to feel pretty self-sufficient and forget all about me. I'm warning you, don't forget God. Let's go to Amos now. Amos 6. I would go to Hosea 12 as well, but you'll get the picture. Amos 6, verses 3 through 6. 
Woe to you who put far off the day of doom, who caused the seat of violence to come near, who lie on beds of ivory, stretch out on your couches, eat lambs from the flock, calves from the midst of the stall, who sing idly to the sound of the stringed instrument, invent for yourselves musical instruments like David, who drink from bowls and anoint yourselves with the best ointments but are not grieved with the affliction of Joseph. Woe to those who have forgotten in their minds that there's a day of judgment coming. Solomon in all his wisdom said, the living know that they shall die, and the verse goes on and continues to say, but they live like they don't know it. I'm going to live forever, they think. I remember talking to my father on August 30th at 10 o'clock at night, and by the next morning, he was dead. Just like that. Amos says, Woe to those who put afar off the day of doom, who don't realize there's a day of judgment coming, and they're not living accordingly. They have not taken their sins seriously. They have not repented of their sins. They've glossed them over. They've swept them under the rug. And they act like they're not even there or present, yet they have never been erased from God's record of our lives. Woe to those who put off the day of doom and act like it's never coming. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day we need to repent. No one knows that tomorrow is coming. You see how apathy sets in? We get comfortable and we, for, we become independent, self-sufficient. We think we got here by ourselves and don't realize we're a turtle on a fence post. And we forget that God is the one who has put us here. God is the one who has lifted us up. God is the one who has given it to us. Not only have we forgotten Him, but we forgot there's a day of judgment coming. Woe to those who put off the day of doom, who cause the seat of violence to come near. And so they oppress the oppressed, step on people, live by the iron rule, get what they can get. One with the most toys wins is the current vernacular. Having nice houses and big bank accounts, no matter how they got it, how unethical they may have been in getting it, no matter who they hurt, the seat of violence has come near. They lie on their beds of ivory and stretch out on their couches. They got a life of ease and they got plenty of the finest food. They eat lambs and calves in the midst of the stall. I believe we're getting the definition of what rich is. We, like the rich man in Luke 16, fare sumptuously and we want for nothing and we have a life of ease and that ease has brought on this indulgence. They sit around idle. Verse 5, it's not so much about singing, it's not so much about the stringed instruments as the focus is they're just become idle. They don't do anything. They don't work. They have no purpose. They don't do anything. They sit idly by and they start making up things. They drink wine from bowls. It's not just the little cups anymore because that's not enough. Their systems have become so... Accustomed to the indulgence, it's not just a little cup. We need the bowls that are full, and we need to drink. The idea and the picture here is indulgence. 
They anoint themselves with the best ointments because their gold and silver has multiplied, and now they get the best of the best. And here's the real problem. They're not grieved for the affliction of Joseph. Joseph was the one who was put in the pit. Joseph was the one who had brothers that wanted to kill him. They actually had a discussion about killing him, but no, they decided they're going to make some money off of him. And so they sell him into slavery. They're going to make a little money off of him. And they're not concerned about the affliction of Joseph. There's your apathy. They show no concern about the folks around them who are down and out. They have no sense of justice for the widow, no sense of justice for the orphan, no sense of justice and mercy for the homeless, no sense of justice and mercy for those who are taken advantage of, no sense of justice and mercy and grace for those who need their help. God has greatly blessed them, and they, they like the rich man, have this poor person sitting right outside the gate and have no concern. They don't know. They don't care. That's a him problem, not a my problem. They care not for the affliction of Joseph. As long as they can get what they get and remain and have their creature comforts and feel like they got it on their own, they don't need God, and they don't need to emulate God. But lest we just think that that's an Old Testament problem, look at the church of Christ at Laodicea in Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3, where apathy has set in, it is the picture of apathy. Beginning in verse 14, the angel of the church, the Laodiceans, write these things, says the Amen, the faithful, the true witness, the beginning, the creation of God. I know your works. I'll just underline that. And just I paused for a minute to think about what that means. God is in the midst of this church. Christ is in the midst of His church, and He is aware of their works, so they are doing something. Something. He identifies them as doing works. That you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you would pick one. Cold or hot, I don't care which. But pick something. Show some passion. Show some life. Show some zeal, one way or the other. Right now you are engaged in works, but you're just going through the motions. Kind of reminds us like this is the end of the New Testament, the end of the Old Testament. What were the worshipers of Israel doing? But bringing the lambs that were not the first nor the best but in their sacrifices, it was the animals that were sick and blind and had diseases. In other words, the picture was, we'll give God this because we want the best for ourselves. God is secondary in my life. I am here on the appointed day. I'm giving the sacrifice of this lamb or whatever animal it was, but it's not what God asked for. It's not the best. They have lost their passion and zeal for giving God the best. And so here, here we have the church of Christ at Laodicea. They're still going at the appointed days and going through the motions, but they're neither cold nor hot. They're neither. He wants them to have some life and some passion and some zeal in what they do. So then, verse 16, because you are lukewarm 
and neither cold or hot. I will vomit you out of my mouth. Graphic picture of God's going to spew them out. Out of fellowship and far away from Him. What was their problem? Because you say I am rich and have become wealthy and I have need of nothing. And you don't even realize that you are wretched, you are miserable, you are poor, you are blind, and you are naked. You are lost and you don't know that you're lost. You've been going through the motions so much and for so long that you're lost and you don't know that you're lost. You've become so comfortable that your heart has become calloused, your faith has become cold, the, the fire of zeal has gone out. There's no passion, there's no life, there's no fire. Verse 17, verse 18, I counsel you. I love that. Because that tells us the grace of God. He is addressing their sins. You see, some people say that love is some sort of compromise with sin. Not true. Love hates iniquity. True biblical scriptural love will call on repentance. Jesus, who is the epitome of love, hated iniquity, hated sin, and He called on people to change their lives, to get out of their sins, to repent. Matthew 4 and verse 17 tells us that he went all around this region preaching the kingdom of God and repentance, for the kingdom of God was at hand. I counsel you means I'm not giving up on you. I'm not done with you. You're not so far gone that I'm quitting on you. Some of the most frightening verses to me is in Romans. Romans chapter 1, verse 24, verse 26 and 28 all tell us there's a time when God gives up on us. You want that filth? You want to live in that sin? You go ahead, but I'm not having fellowship with you, and I'm not going to be in your midst anymore. I'm going to withdraw myself from you. You can see that same picture very graphically drawn out for us in Ezekiel chapter 8, where the people of God tried to hide their sins away from God, and God says they have no idea. They're asking themselves, the Lord won't, or telling themselves, the Lord won't know, and they have no idea, God's telling Ezekiel. And I'm watching them cover up all their sins, and it will come home to roost. Isn't the story of Noah, God saying, I'm done with this wretched generation of people who want to live habitually in sin, who wake up and think about sin, live in sin, and go to bed dreaming about sin? I'm done with these people. Is that not the story of God's wrath being poured out on a sinful heart? A generation of people who will not give up their sins? Coming back to Revelation 3.18, he says, I counsel you means I'm not giving up on you. I think there's a chance to revive you. I think there's a chance to restore you. I think there's a chance for you to come back home and do things right. I counsel you to buy gold refined in fire that you may be truly rich. White garments that are clothed, or that you may be clothed, and that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed and anoint your eyes eyes with eye salve that you may be able to see. Sacrifice. I counsel you to buy gold from me that's refined. You know what they do with gold when they refine it? It goes through fire. 
What is the purpose of that fire? To get rid of the impurities and to make that gold more valuable. Come to me. Go through the awkwardness of repenting of your sins. Call it what it is. It's not just homosexuality. It's not just abortion. It's covetousness. It's lying. It's stealing. It's adultery. It's fornication. There's another one we've become kind of callous to. Oh, that's just what consenting adults do. The Bible still calls it fornication, and it's still sin. It's still wrong. God's people ought not to be practicing it. Call sin, sin, and more than that, repent. As John was calling on the Pharisees and Sadducees to repent, to turn from it. And so, I counsel you to buy gold refined with fire that you may be rich. White garments that you may be clothed. Because right now, in my view, you are naked. Everything's exposed. I see it all, Hebrews 4.13. Everything is naked and everything is exposed and everything is open to Him with whom we have to do. He sees it all. We hide nothing from Him. You're only fooling yourself when you refuse to repent. Make your robes white with the blood of the Lamb. Revelation chapter 7 and verse 14. I counsel you, make your garments white. Put on the eye salve so you can see. So you can perceive do you see what you're doing is sinful? What apathy does gives us this cloud of apathy and this darkness and we don't see it as sin anymore. We don't see it as a big deal anymore and so we say, I don't know and I don't care. I just try to live my life. Or the really arrogant thing is God can judge me. God's the only one that can judge me. And that's the problem. God is the one who will judge you. There's a plea today, while time still stands, for you to repent before God does judge you. And so we look through these verses and there's a pattern that emerges with the people of God from Deuteronomy to Amos to Revelation. There's less focus on God, less worship, less walking, less attention to sin, more focus on my success and my independence and my material gain and my wealth and my comforts and my needs and what I want. It's all I, me, and mine. And we forget about God. We just don't know. We don't care anymore. So we're past feeling. This is what causes it. What's the cure? Well, I've already said part of it and got ahead of myself. Stay there in Revelation in verse 19. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. What is he telling the Laodiceans? I'm not done with you. I love you. It's the reason I'm trying to tell you how wrong you are. It's the reason I'm trying to tell you that you have sin in your life you need to address. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. We live in a culture that says that's unloving, that's hateful. We can't tell people that you're in sin. You can't tell people that fornication is sin. You can't tell people homosexuality is a sin. You can't say that. Adultery is sin. Stealing is sin. Lying is sin. You can't say that. It's unloving. You're going to hurt people. You're going to drive them away. What is it Jesus is doing with this church? 
This is an established church. And he says, you're wrong. You're in sin. But I love you. I rebuke and chasten you because I love you. Therefore, be zealous and repent. As we finish class this morning, in Acts chapter 2, Peter was preaching and they were stung with the word of God. They interrupted his sermon and said, we're going to get baptized. Men and brethren, what shall we do? What can we do to make this wrong right? And Peter says, repent and be baptized. So, What's the cure? Repentance. We've got to rekindle the fire. What was the Hebrews writer telling these folks who were wavering in their faith? They were on the fence. They were kind of that lukewarm. They could go either way at any time. So he tells them in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32 and 33, recall the former days. You remember that time when you heard the gospel and it mattered to you? That you cared? The question is, why don't you care now? You need to recall the former days when the gospel and the cause of Christ meant something to you and you were on fire for it. And so we need to rekindle and recall those former days and resolve to take action, to begin again. Let me show you one last verse before we end here. Let me show you here in Luke chapter 24. You said spring started at 1130, is that right? Okay, well, we're going to be done right about springtime. Luke 24. I'm glad y'all chuckled a little bit at that with this type of sermon. You haven't left me yet. You're not mad at me. 24, Luke 24, verse, this is the road to Emmaus. And these two guys are talking to Jesus and they don't recognize Him. And He mentions to them in verse 25, He says, Oh foolish and slow of heart to believe in all the prophets. All the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things to enter into His glory? Beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Verse 28, then they drew near to the village and when they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone further, but they constrained him, saying, abide with us, for it is toward evening and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. Now it came to pass, he sat at the table and he took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they knew him and he vanished out of their sight. And they said to one another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? If the fire has gone out, if the fire of your faith has gone out and you're at a point where you're in your mind saying, I don't know and I don't care, begin to read the Scriptures again. It sounds almost so fundamental that it's foolish to say. Read the Scriptures. I promise you, Satan hates it when you read the Scriptures. 
Listen to me for just a second. I'm going to use another verse. Sorry, I told you I was done, but I'm not. Luke 8.11 tells us that the, word, that the seed of the, of the kingdom is the word of God, and it's implanted in their hearts. Then Satan comes and takes the word of God out of their hearts. Why? Lest they hear it, believe it, and are saved. When you start planting the Word of God in your heart, Satan gets upset and he's going to come and take it out of your heart. When you start reading the Word of God regularly and consistently, guess what's going to happen? I promise you this is going to happen. Life's going to happen. You're going to be tired. There's going to be work. There's going to be another problem that you need to address and deal with. And all of a sudden, you're going to be so busy being busy, what have you forgotten to do? Feed upon the Word of God. Satan taking it out of your heart because he knows the power, not necessarily of the Holy Spirit per se, but the power of the Word of God planted in our hearts. It's going to cause this fire within us, Luke 24, verse 32. We're going to be able to see Jesus for who He is. We're going to act in faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God. No wonder He wants the Word of God out of our hearts. You want the cure for apathy. If you're at a point in your life where you're saying, I don't know and I don't care, it's time to recall the former days. It is time to get real and get serious about sin and repent. And if nothing else, repent of apathy. Repent of this idea that I don't know and I don't care because it does matter. The destiny of your soul hangs in the balance of believing in Jesus or not. Begin to read the Scriptures again. Let God speak into your life through His Word and then let it bloom. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. There's no way you can do that until you know Him. There's no way to know Him until you know His Word. Apathy is a problem, especially regarding spiritual matters. How or what causes it? Ignorance of God's Word combined with being simply comfortable with where I am. Are you comfortable with where you are? How long has it been since you've taken all of your sins to the throne room of God and acknowledge your wrongs and repent? How long has it been since you have dug into the Word of God? Not in a cursory reading, but to dig into the depths and treasures of God's Word. We can cure this by digging into God's Word, recalling the former days, repenting of our sins, confessing the great name of Christ, being immersed in water for the remission of, of your sins, picking up your cross and following Christ. Members of the church, is it time to repent? Do we need to repent? Has our heart become calloused? Has our faith become cold? Are we zealous for God, zealous for His Word, zealous for knowing Him? If not, why not? What happened to that? Start over. Rekindle the fire today. Let us pray with you. Let us pray for you. Let us all start again to walk with Jesus zealously right into heaven. Whatever your need is, answer heaven's call. While together we stand and encourage you with the words of this song.